0: Hi, this is Timothy Pig, and I want to welcome you to Text Driven Podcast, a podcast put out by the Ministry of Fellowship Church in Southwest Florida. Text Driven Podcasts exist to equip you to know God and make Him known through text-driven preaching and practice. To learn more about Fellowship Church, visit our website, fellowshipchurch.co. Thanks so much for joining us for another episode of Text from Podcast as we begin a brand new series over these next um, several episodes. And we're going to be talking about spiritual warfare and the armor of God. I think this is an important topic, not just for the church where I am pastor, Fellowship Church, but also for the broader evangelical community. I think we have to be honest with ourselves when we think about what is happening in the current life of many churches. Uh, it, it's a sad reality when we think about the state of the church today. I read a statistic not too long ago that said 37% of pastors are pastoring out of a biblical world view. Now, a biblical worldview, it's uh, something that we talk about regularly here in, on uh text-driven podcast, but a biblical worldview is is the lens by which you view the world. And um, as believers, we should be viewing the world through the lens of scripture. We should be taking everything that's happening in our culture around us and uh, bringing it to bear with what God's word says and the things that match up with what God's word says are good and the things that do not, we should uh, eliminate and be able to respond to uh, reasonably as as uh, Christians. And I think as we look at the evangelical just landscape, for for there to be a statistic that says that 37% of pastors are not pastoring out of a biblical worldview, that should be an alarming statistic to us. Now, how did we get to that state? How did we get to a state where uh, pastors and churches are not uh, standing upon the authority of Scripture completely? I would say the way we got to that state was we are losing the spiritual battle. Uh, Scripture is very clear that there is a spiritual battle uh, to be waged. It is not a a battle that is seen um, with the flesh uh, physically, but it is a battle that happens in the spiritual realm. And Paul deals with that in Ephesians chapter 6. And what we're going to do over these episodes is we're going to walk through the famous passage that deals with the armor of God. And throughout each of these episodes, we'll deal with each of the pieces of armor. We'll have an introductory uh, episode, which is this one right here. And then we'll also look at uh, how um, Satan seems to be working in our culture currently and how, as Christians, the armor of God has been given to the church to combat this. Now, in order for us to think through uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. We really need to understand where this passage comes from in the context of Paul's writing to the church of Ephesus. At the very beginning of Paul's writing uh, to this church, he begins by talking to the church about the spiritual blessings that they have for being in Christ. And that comes out of chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, we're going to spend a majority of our time just looking at the overview and outline of the book of Ephesians before we jump into uh, the different parts of the armor of God. And in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, listen to what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places glory. Verses 3 through 14 really outline for us the the lavished blessings that are given to the people who are in Christ. Uh, We're taught in this passage that uh, we have been adopted into the family of God and that God has given to us every spiritual blessing that is in the heavenly places, and that because we are in Christ Jesus, we have redemption. We have been uh, bought away from sin and purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, and we are God's children now, and how in Christ we have had the Father lavish upon us all wisdom and insight, and he's making known to us the mystery of his will, And, and it's just one after another, a piling on top of each item, the glorious blessing of what it means to be in Christ. And then it just, I believe it hits this zenith at the end that we have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is our guarantee of our inheritance until we attain possession of it to the praise of His glory. So from beginning to end of our salvation, being in Christ, we see it as the work of the Father. We see it as the redemption of the Son. We see it as the sealing of the Holy Spirit. The entire Godhead has been at work in our own salvation. It is a marvelous thing. It's an incredible thing. It is the foundation of what a church is to be about, uh, the work of God in salvation. And Paul reminds uh, the uh, Corinth uh, reminds the Ephesians about their need to have oneness in Christ in light of all of these wonderful spiritual blessings that come from being in Jesus. That is in chapter one. In chapter two, Paul goes and he says, "Look, you need to be one in Christ." That's the picture of the church. This idea of unity that has now come. And he picks up in chapter two, verse eleven. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That was our destitute place before we were brought into Christ. We were separated. There was disunity between man and God, between you and God, between me and God. But because of the work of Jesus, we have been brought near to the Father by the Son, and we are in the Son, and we are in the Father with that wonderful spiritual blessing. And that's what Paul says in Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For What an incredible picture of what God does. That's the continuation of these blessings that are in. Christ. And Paul is providing all of this wonderful doctrine to us. And he comes in chapter 3 verse 14 and he he just explodes into this prayer for the church in light of these blessings that have come. And he says to them in verse 14 of chapter 3 he says for this reason I bow my knee before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of god what a prayer that we'd be filled with all the fullness of God, are we would be overflowing as we are rooted and grounded in love. And then he says in verse 20, now to him who is able, it is God who does all of this in us. All of this that Paul prays that we would be unified, that our inner being would be unified and we'd be strengthened with power in the spirit. All of this that he's praying in verses 14 through 19, is the working of God in the life of the believer. Because he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen so paul is just laying out for us this wonderful picture of the doctrine of the church that we are in christ jesus that we have been redeemed and that as one body we are regenerate we are a regenerate body of believers who are meant to be serving him and strengthened in him and the power that he has and then in chapter 4 paul begins to outline the the practicality of this he says in light of being in christ one of the things that the church must be is a unified body and that's what he says at the beginning of chapter 4 verse 1 i a prisoner of the lord lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called Paul is saying, in light of all the glorious things that happen to the believer because they are in Christ, now he looks at the Christian, he looks at us as well, and he says, I want to urge you to walk in a manner worthy of how you have been called. See, what Paul's trying to get us to see here is this if we have truly been saved by the grace of God and put in Christ Jesus then the life that we live will not be the life of sinful flesh that we once had because now that is dead, but it'll be a life of Christ living through us and we will be walking in a manner by which we have been called. And that that walking is gonna look like what verse two says. It's gonna be in humility and gentleness with patience. We're gonna be bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Look at those terms that should describe what a church, what the character of a church should look like. It should be a a church of people who are full of humility and gentleness and patience, who are bearing one another's burdens in love, who are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is the outworking of of a group of people who are in Christ Jesus, Jesus working through their life produces this humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love and this unity in the spirit. And that's why Paul says in chapter four, verse 17, now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. He says, now that you've been saved, don't walk like you used to, for in the futility of their minds, they were darkened in their understanding. They were alienated from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. And he describes how they once walked. They were callous and they were uh, giving themselves up to sensuality, verse 19, and greed and every kind of impurity. And Paul says, that's not who you are. Because you are in Christ, your life should reflect being in Christ Jesus. So then in chapter five, he, he, he gets a little bit more practical and he says that we should be imitators of God as beloved children and we should walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We are called as a church to walk in love, not because we have some special power in and of ourselves, no, because we've been placed in, in Christ Jesus, and Jesus is living out through us this life of love, and that's why he tells us to not take any part in unfruitful works of darkness in chapter 5, verse 11, and that we're to be uh, also to be careful how we walk and making the best use of our time. And we should be exhorting and edifying one another in verse 19 with psalms, hymns, and spiritual psalms. And we should be giving thanks always for everything to God in the name of Christ Jesus. And then Paul gets even more practical about what it looks like to live out the life of Christ or have Christ live out his life through us in chapter 5, verse 22, when he talks about the relationship of husbands and wives, and then in chapter 6, he deals with the relationship of children and parents, and then in chapter 6, he deals with the relationship of bond servants with their masters, and all of this is that picture of the life of Christ being lived out through the believer. Now, try just for a moment to grasp what that would actually look like in a church community. It would be refreshing, wouldn't it? It would be attractive, wouldn't it? It would be a community that this world so desperately needs. It would be a community of people that could turn the world upside down for Christ. You see, Satan knows that. Satan knows that if a believer truly recognizes who he is or who she is in Christ Jesus, and if a believer's really recognized that together in Christ Jesus as a church, they have the Spirit of God who has sealed them and the uh, person of Christ who's living in and through them and working himself out of them and their actions, that that group of people, that church community could change the world. Satan knows that, and he doesn't want to see that happen. So what does he do? He attacks the church. And that's why at the very end of the book of Ephesians, Paul ends in verse 10 with this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. What I want to encourage you to do as we close this episode is to, in one setting, sit down and read the book of Ephesians and look at the picture that God has for his church, the blessings of being in Christ, the outworking of those blessings through the life of Of the believer as the spirit works and the son works and the father works through the life of the believer and then when you come to chapter six you'll see how important it is that paul says satan's looking to attack you be strong in the lord put on the armor of god so before our next episode read through the book of ephesians Get God's picture for the church. And then, as you listen to the next episode, you will see how to be strong in the Lord and how and why we need to put on the armor of God. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Text-Driven Podcast. For more resources like this one, I encourage you to go to our website, www.fellowshipchurch.co. And if you're ever in the Southwest Florida Florida area, we have two campuses that we'd love to invite you to. We have a campus in Amakley and in Ave Maria. You can find the uh, times for those worship services on our website as well. And I hope that you'll take advantage and come and worship with us on a Sunday morning. God bless. Have a great day.